0: Wind. He'll come back for the second. India have won the test match. India have won the series. They're going to get back for two. India won. Lords wild. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the 81 All Out podcast. This is Siddhartha Vaidyanathan at Sidvi on Twitter and uh, I'm thrilled to be joined today by a special guest all the way from Dhaka, uh, my good friend and uh, former uh, 81 All Out guest. Uh, some may even call him a legend. Uh, of course, in Bangladesh cricket circles, he is a legend. Uh, welcome to the show, Mohamed Issam. Uh,
1: thank you, Sid, for inviting me to everyone a Always keen to come to your podcast and always keen to, you know, listen to it. Like I'm, a, I'm an avid listener of your podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Isam. Uh, for those who don't know, and I hope there is nobody uh, in that category, but for those who don't know, Mohammad Isam is uh, ESPN Cricket Info's Bangladesh cricket correspondent. He uh, has been working for them for over a decade, uh, and he has recently come out with uh, this book called uh, "On the Tigers Trail." So, this is a book that has been published by the Mighty Press in Dhaka, and it is a lovely collection of uh, Issam's uh, pieces that he has written over the years it covers uh, quite a lot of bangladesh cricket as you would expect but there is also some uh, very uh, enchanting essays about uh, players from uh, other parts of the world like he has written a wonderful piece on sikandar raza from zimbabwe he has written you know a nice piece about uh, the virat kohli and mohammad amir uh, dueling uh, in a game he has written uh, uh, Fantastic piece. According to me, the best piece uh, in that whole collection on uh, bowling to Kevin Peterson in the nets. And so you get a really wonderful glimpse of uh, cricket in Bangladesh, uh, cricketers, the sort of the personal side of cricketers and also life of a journalist, uh, life of uh, covering. I mean, there's this uh, fantastic piece on Mohammed Ashrafal where he has written about uh, the travails of Ashraful, the ups and downs and covering his whole career. Uh, Wonderful. So I would recommend all of you to pick it up. There is a beautiful foreword by Rahul Bhattacharya, uh, one of the finest cricket writers going around. Personally, one of my favorite cricket writers. And um, again, uh, you know, a treat to read Rahul always. And uh, he sets it up really well. So um, quick reminder, uh, before I forget to listeners, we recently uh, republished a classic work of uh, cricket literature. Uh, You know, we're talking about a cricket book, but uh, let me mention another cricket book that we recently republished, uh, Gideon Hayes' The Summer Game. This is uh, covering uh, Australian cricket's history in the 50s and 60s. We recently did a podcast with Gideon talking about the book, talking about that period. And uh, it's a uh, marvellous book. It is a masterpiece uh, of cricket writing. And uh, please pick it up. I, I will put in all the links in the show notes. And uh, please recommend it, etc. This is, of course, the third book we are republishing after Mike Marcusy's uh, War Minus the Shooting, uh, a travelogue of the 1996 World Cup, and uh, Mike Coward's Cricket Beyond the Bazaar, which uh, chronicles Australian cricket's uh, visits to the subcontinent in the 1980s. So, anyway, having said all that, uh, Isam. Uh, congratulations on the book, and tell us a bit about um, how, what, what sort of prompted you to this, and uh, also how it's been in the first few weeks of uh, putting it out.
1: Yeah, um, it, it actually it was an idea from one of the publishers who I knew from my school days. Um, he's my school senior. He's the he's the co-founder of uh, Mighty Press, and he always has been pushing me to you know go a little you know do something different so we've been trying to do a children's book i think i think that'll be out hopefully next this year later this year it's a children's book on bangladesh cricket but um he thought that you know to have something on the way uh, there should be a book about from i mean he's been following me for the last 10 12 years writing for espn cricket uh, so he wanted me to uh, do a do a an anthology of uh, of my work and um, he said just go through your work and and give me 25 pieces that I want to I want to publish and and see how the how it goes because it's a very it's a very uh, uh you know uh, what should I call it and to to put it in a good way it's a very small market of English books in Bangladesh especially sports there hasn't been many uh, actually, this this year there have been two, mine and another another journalist has taken out and uh, you know, published a book, but it's very rare to have an English book in, in Bangladesh, uh, you know, despite so many people writing really nice books in Bengali. There, you know, there isn't really a sports market, even for Bengali books. So um, we thought that we would just uh, fly out a test balloon and see how it works. And, you know, uh, with a bit of, you know, social media marketing and all these things, we have been able to almost sell out the first uh, print run uh, in this sort of one month it's been one month since it went into you know uh, online orders so i'm quite happy that it, people have actually bought it uh, you know thinking that it's not like india or england where people are used to buying uh, cricket cricket books and and used to seeing cricket books on you know bookshelves and bookstores so i think that's that's where i'm, I'm slightly satisfied that you know without much Promotion work or without much because I was extremely busy with uh, Bangladesh playing East England and Ireland in the last uh, four weeks they've played 13 matches in four weeks, so I've been following them all around the country and ultimately they haven't paid much attention to the book, but people have liked it people have said that they're they're, they're quite happy seeing whatever I've written
0: that's that's great to hear and uh, yes uh, I think uh, there is still a uh, pretty Uh, you know smallish but still quite uh, a sizable market for these things Uh, it is a niche market but I'm happy that uh, you know quite uh, the first print run is almost done and uh, I'm hoping that uh, this also leads to more books from you and more uh, I mean this is an anthology but I'm hoping that it leads to more original books uh, on uh, players and maybe biographies maybe you know something about the uh, period of uh, certain period in Bangladesh cricket yeah so all the best I will link uh, the sort of the website where uh, listeners uh, can order it this is of course available only in Bangladesh at the moment but hopefully in due course it will be available in all geographies and uh, you know we will keep a tab of that and uh, in whenever we can we will be uh, linking that too so um, yeah uh, great to hear uh, I actually, you know, for starting off, I did mention Rahul's forward, but uh, maybe you can talk a bit about it. Um, he's uh, written quite uh, 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 evocative forward. And uh, did you learn things about yourself while reading it?
1: Yeah, I had no idea. <clears throat> I had no idea I was perceived that way. Um, I think that's that's the that's the beauty of uh, you know just putting your head down and working for ten ten years for a. I mean, Rahul was my hero. He's still my hero. He's, he's the, the reason I got into writing is uh, Pandit from Pakistan, to be fair with you, to be honest with you. Um, I just uh, read that. I think I've read that cover to cover at least 50 times, and I still go back to it whenever I'm feeling a bit, you know, uh, having a bit of a writer's blog. I go through that book, how smooth it is, and even his second book. I mean, I can go on about uh, Rahul throughout this podcast, and it won't be enough for me, but uh, the way it... His book, the way it um, you know appealed to me, and I'll just tell you one, uh, the moment I met him actually was 2018 when we were having a, a meeting in, uh, in Bangalore. A lot of our correspondents had arrived the night before that, uh, some conference. And I remember uh, when I saw Rahul, I was just staring at him and I suddenly realized six or seven of us were just staring at him because we were all seeing him for the first time. So i later shared with a colleague uh, called anisha ghosh and i told her that uh, i was really awestruck she said yeah everyone was awestruck by him. <laughs> like he's he's such a gentle guy but you know he's he's like my biggest hero in in writing so i i obviously if being my first book i thought you know he should he should write it and uh, i and he the, the running joke between us is that i have to teach him uh, bengali and uh, so you know he he asked me if he should do it in Bengali. I said, no, it's uh, this one is in English, so next time <laughs> if I ever write a book in Bengali, he will again attempt to write a forward in Bengali. but uh, it was really nice of him, really nice of him to write it and um, you know, I also should mention that I think some of the pieces that I've put in this book are edited by you, Sid. Uh, I think the Ashraful piece probably I Yes, uh, cricket, monthly,
0: cricket Monthly yes. Uh, days when uh, Cricket Monthly yeah. was actually a monthly and we used yeah. to put out uh, regular pieces. Yes, I remember the Ashraful piece. Uh, I remember yeah. the Dhaka Premier League. I oh, think yes. there might have been about uh, three or four.
1: Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Thank you to you for <laughs> sticking by in that really, you know, these pieces take a long time. I mean, people probably don't realize what the editorial process is sometimes Crickinfo and the cricket monthly. So it's quite rigorous and it's extremely good. So many of these pieces are pitch perfect. I mean, whatever I have written the first draft, it has nothing to do with what has come out later.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the editing is uh, a valuable part of uh, any process of uh, writing, especially long form writing books and uh, things. So, but, you know, let me also mention to listeners that, uh, you know, editing, does not exist without the writer. So, you know, an editor can only work with, uh, the you know, the clay that the writer provides them with. And so someone like Isam, you know, I remember he used to uh, write the pieces and when I used to edit them, I used to often look for extra detail because uh, ultimately writing is about detail. And when you mention that somebody is wearing, you know, a certain, uh, you know, somebody wore a blazer, you also want to know what blazer, you know, what color blazer, what type of blazer was it? Something different? Why? Why are you mentioning the blazer? Did it catch your eye? And then I used to mention that in the notes, and immediately Sam, of course, uh, uh, used to get back with the details. So you know, a writer and editor work in that way together. You try and make the piece better. So uh, it was great. It was great uh, working with him because he's he's never short of an answer. You know, he never says I don't know. He will always find out and even if it takes a few days he will always get back to you with the answer so yeah so ultimately some it is <laughs> things might have changed from the first draft but it is your piece so don't uh, give us too much credit also
1: so no no of course not i mean um uh, it's 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 uh, when, when you are um writing about a subject state which uh which lot of people not a lot of people have idea about uh, an editorial process uh, comes handy and, and and asking questions comes handy when you when you know that um, the person editing also doesn't have much you know idea about Bangladesh cricket which you know that's the whole idea I mean I, I'm trying to write a piece where people know about Bangladesh cricket but also this person who's, who's editing my piece is also reading it for the first time and this sometimes I even get a bit confused you know what the other person is going to think. Because there are fa- facts and factors about Bangladesh cricket which are quite unique. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen here which don't really happen in other parts of the world. But then it gets amalgamated. It, it gets, um, I think it melds with the cricket here. Uh, sort of, it, it happens everywhere. I mean, in England, there's a there's a culture of cricket. In India, there's a culture of club cricket. And then you have Ranjit Trophy and then you have... So these th- these things are also there in Bangladesh, but in a different format. So it, it takes a bit of time for the person. When I'm writing daily news, also, I mean, sometimes uh, my colleagues get a little, you know, they're like, "Oh my God, this is how it how things happen." The the board president actually does everything in your in your country. I'm like, yeah, yeah. There's a whole cricket board, but he he takes all the decisions, all the calls. So these are these are the quirks of uh, of uh, covering uh, Bangladesh cricket.
0: Yeah. So. That's the other thing I wanted to chat with you about, about, you know, you've been uh, doing this for a while now. And, uh, you know, in the early days, I guess, when you got into it for the first time, so much of it would have been, you know, new to you, meeting, you know, uh, all the intrigue and the players and uh, getting to know them, asking them questions. And even just meeting some players would have been, uh, you know, given you goosebumps because you would have watched them play, you would have uh, perhaps, you know, idolized some of them and then to actually then be asking them questions, interviewing them, etc. So, uh, but over the years, obviously, uh, now you are almost like uh, perhaps older than the entire, you know, all the players in the Bangladesh team now. And uh, to you're now, when you're interviewing them... Uh, now, it's a totally different dynamic because you've seen them from when they were playing probably junior cricket or, you know, you've you've seen them from when they were kids. So talk a bit about that of the change of being the starstruck newbie journalist to somebody who's now been doing it for a while and, uh, you know, who's uh, now, I, I don't know, talk a bit about uh, the journey.
1: Yeah, um, Sid. Look, it's very. It's actually a little interesting because I um, actually played with some of them when I started out. So I was, I was a player. I was a. I was a club level cricketer, and in club level, I mean, it's it's professional level at that point. Um, So, uh, say uh, when I was working in 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 before cricket, I was working in a newspaper called the Daily Star, where I was a full time uh, sub editor, but I was also covering matches and doing interviews. So. Um, there, I remember them telling me that okay, you are going to, you're not going to be intimidated by players because you have actually, you know, met them or played with them. I've played with a few, played for Bangladesh, and then, uh, but still, I mean, uh, at that level, meeting them, and then when they started to become stars, it, it, it becomes, you know, slightly more uh, hectic to to make sure that they they get the full, you know, the full they they tell me the whole story and not just, you know, tell me that, okay, you know what it is, just write it. Sometimes it happens. Um, that was towards the, towards, uh, that was, that, that is more about, um, um players that I've known all my life. And then I've had some small connections with players as well. I mean, I have, um, if you talk about, uh, Mustafi Zurahman, he's someone I have, um, uh, I worked with his uncle in the Daily Star. His uncle is a well-known reporter and I used to work under him for a while. And, uh, I figured out about Mustafa's when before, I think, when he was 16 or 15, that uh, he has this really crazy, you know, uh, nephew in, in a small village in, in Bangladesh who is crazy about Boli and he worships a, a guy called Wasim Akram and has a poster of Muhammad Amir in his room. And then it turns out that this kid wants to come to Dhaka and play. And I kind of helped him to come to Dhaka, get, a, get, a, get into a pace camp. And it's all, you know... So because of my my long affiliation with cricket, I've played since I was 12 years old and I've played club cricket for about 10 years. So I've known players. So that was one part of it. But then, you know, uh, the intimidating part or the difficult part was getting some news from the cricket board. And, and here we have a culture of uh, reporters. This is pre-pandemic. Uh, reporters hanging out in the cricket board or inside the board office. It's It's quite common. It was quite common since the early days and even when, you know, I, I think it's up, I would say, up to 2019 that you know we would, um, one of the things that we did on non-match days or when there was you no know, series going on was just roam around in the cricket board. And I, I know it, it sounds very, I mean, it, it took my um, seniors in cricket for a little while to realize that, yeah, I'm always hanging out in the cricket board. It's not as if I'm friends with them. It's just that I'm looking for news and that's the culture here. I mean, we would sit in the board, Media managers' room, or we can we can. It wasn't totally allowed, but we would just use our contacts to walk around and find news in the cricket uh, operations committee or some committee, just to look for news. And then, and then, then suddenly,
0: uh, on on as the as you begin your began your Mohammad Ashiful piece, suddenly Ashiful walks in someday one day.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, because it's the cricket board office, and you can see everyone walking around. You'll see the coaches walking around. You'll see the selectors there. Sometimes you would see. I've have, I've. Have, uh, gone through a few board presidents as well so they would also have, be there and then you could talk to them, the board CEO is sometimes available they get annoyed uh, because we take up a lot of their time but that's how it is here and so that was one of the new things for me in this job that I had to you know, especially when I joined for there was no one else uh, as a backup so I had to do it every day, you know there was no uh, day off uh, towards the start and then slowly when I got a you know handle on things I you know it became a slight. It became slightly easier. But then, you know, then came the traveling, and then came the tours, and then, as you said, I've done a few uh, interviews and stuff. So, you know, these. I think it was a bit of a backward journey for me in a way that I was not. I didn't start off as a as a newbie in that sense, but also I tried to you know use as much context as possible uh, in my early days so that you know I can get get some some news out you know and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I mean, um, that was the start of the journey. And then slowly, it, it got to a point where now, I think I'm the oldest. I'm older than all of them. There was a time when I was the young. I was probably younger now that I think of it. When I started, it was quite an old team. Habibul Bashar, Abdul Razak, Mohamed Rafiq. that Dev Watmore's team, where everyone was way older than me. I think. Why I, didn't you, to, I don't believe you didn't mention Javed Omar. Javed Omar, of course. <laughs> uh, do you know his, uh, his nickname? is? We, we call him Gulla Bhai his nickname he's uh, he's, a, he's a amazing character he he he'll spend like hours with you talking cricket i mean he's probably one of the few people who doesn't want to talk about anything else in bangladesh you know former cricketers don't always want to talk about cricket and he he always he still i think he still feels that it's his his um, career shouldn't have ended then he still feels that way so that that's amazing about him and i remember writing a piece about him i think it was called uh, why i hate to hate love to Hate, yes, to love, yes. yeah. Hate to love. Yeah, I should have put that piece in this. I forgot about it completely. That is
0: one of my favorite piece of yours, Isam. I'm I was, oh, uh, disappointed it was not there. In the it was not there.
1: The, the story goes that when I wrote that piece and it was published, um, I got a call from Nafi Sigbal, who's tamim elder brother. And he said, "Isam, bhai, I loved it so much that I actually called uh, Javad Omar bhai and I uh, read the whole thing to him. And uh, he at one point, he got a bit uncomfortable. And then he said, okay, okay, I'll read it myself. Then the, <laughs> same, then the same evening, he called up and he said, uh, that was the first time I think I spoke to him after a long time. He said, Issam, I read this piece. My son read it. I was very, you know, I was uh, slightly skeptical whether you have written something bad about me. But my son said, oh, other, Dad, it's probably the best thing that anyone has ever written about you. It's a huge compliment. So I said, yeah, I was, you know, I've seen you play when I was a child. And, and it, all of it is still today, still today, it's true. That whenever a Bangladeshi opener doesn't do well, they say, you know, he was a good guy. We we lost him early. We shouldn't have kicked him out so early. And then if someone plays slowly, it's always him that we go to. That, oh, he's playing like David (laughs) Opat. Yeah, no, I I only mentioned that because
0: uh, I like that piece. But yeah, uh, just one more question about the big picture. Now, you're mentioning about, uh, you know, hanging out in the board office often, meeting these coaches, meeting these players, meeting the officials, everything. Uh, How is the dynamic like from a journalistic point of view? Because you know many of them at a personal level. You see them daily. You, you know, talk to them about Obviously, you talk to them about everything, a lot of other things other than cricket. You know, know a lot about their personal struggles and things. But also as a journalist, there are times in which you need to, you know, be critical of them and you need to ask certain questions. And so talk a bit about that dynamic and I'm uh, curious to know how it is on a daily basis.
1: Um so when um, uh, you know foreign journalists come to Bangladesh, they're they're, they're just uh, they they can't believe it sometimes that we get so close to players and we know them by first name basis or nickname basis sometimes we you know uh, that I think I think the first thing that I noticed about senior journalists and we have got some extremely good ones in Bangladesh. We have got Utpal Shubro, uh, we've got Arifur Rahman Babu, we've got Saidu Zaman. They are they they are really you know path in the sense that they. Um, they wrote about things uh, you know, that other journalists in Bangladesh and other spheres uh, never really got into. There's a lot of lot of uh, stories about how the board has done excesses and how the players have often been the, you know uh, the sort of um, the often have haven't got their due. so there have there have been a lot of lot of uh, great pieces by them. so I've seen them um say we have in in bengali we we speak in three tones with someone, so I can call you uh, apni apni is uh, giving you the respect because it's um, uh, it's it's uh, because you are older to me or someone i respect or someone i want to um, put some honor to your name <laughs> you know, To tumi is for maybe i call my parents tumi because i am friends with them or with my friends i would call them tumi and tui is someone who's younger to me i can call them okay. tui uh, so are three ways you can you can actually speak to someone in in bengali i've seen people i've seen these seniors uh, call the players by Tumi because they're, you know, slightly younger to these, uh, uh, these players are younger to the journalists. So that's why Tumi. But whenever they have, you know, spoken to them or addressed them in public or in a press conference, it's always Apni. Like uh, Shakib can be Tumi to Utpal Shubro when they meet and talk. Or I think he calls him Apni all the time. But in a press conference, Utpal Shubro or or anyone would not uh, uh, talk to them as if they're talking to them normally. So that, was one of the first things. And then, as, as you said, how does a journalist keep his objectivity? Is it difficult? You know, it has created a lot of heartbreaks uh, over the years that, you know, I've had a former player when he got dropped. Um, uh, uh, it's well known that Khaled, Ma- Khaled Mashoud was dropped from the 2017 because of, you know, Mushvikur was the was the rising star at that time. And he felt hard done by by journalists. By some journalists, he thought that, you know, they could have given him a warning because, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, he felt that, you know, the cricket board was, as as any senior player would, would feel uh, in a situation like this. Uh, but I remember that, you know, it was fairly done. It wasn't unfair. There was a, a huge cry for the cricket board. Uh, you know, the, the cricket board was criticized for the way they dealt with Khaled Masood. And I remember the Daily Star was went very hard on the cricket board. But then Mushfiq did so well, that story fizzled out. But it's there have been numerous times when I've seen that journalists have had to you know, um, for lack of a better word, break their friendship sometimes with the players, you know, Uh, that trust sometimes goes away. It has happened to me. It has happened to me a few times that I've had to, you know, I've had to be objective about a player or someone that uh, maybe I was friendly with that person, but there comes a time when you have to do it. So sometimes we do it gradually, you know, to soften the blow, but sometimes it just, you have to, you know, break it open and then, i mean there's no there's no rule book or or any playbook for it, but you just see others do it and probably learn from their mistakes or learn from how they exactly did it you know it's it's not easy um but this relationship is very unique that we have with the players even today i mean even the youngest players will try to um you know they have this they have this idea that journalists in bangladesh i mean not all journalists in bangladesh are enemies of the cricket board or the player it's 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 not very friendly but it's also not that bad i mean nowadays um i hear from all over people from all over the being you know, a journalists from all over the world that it's it's an envy of other journalists that we have this access and because bangladesh are also doing well it's usually you know it's 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 quite well known that uh, Associate countries or, or or smaller countries, players from smaller countries, they will be a little more friendly with journalists because of they would want that uh, you know that sort of exposure. But in Bangladesh, cricket was always big, but maybe Bangladesh cricket wasn't big. But now that Bangladesh cricket is also getting big, we still, I mean, despite COVID-related uh, restrictions and and cricket board has used that very well to restrict our uh, movement in the cricket board offices, which I think is good. I mean, finally. Someone had put an end to us roaming around in the cricket board. But,
0: <laughs> but finally, yeah. they said, "Okay, throw these fellows
1: out." <laughs> yes, yeah. they, they They, um, I remember, like, um, in 2016, when there was a terrorist attack in Bangladesh, and everything was under lock and you know everything was locked down in Bangladesh. You know, all offices were locked down, and England were supposed to come to Bangladesh. So that was the first time when they put a restriction on journalists going into the board office. But I would pretend. That I yeah, I work here. I'll, I'll just go in and the and the guards <laughs> sometimes, and there are guards who actually thought that I worked there because I when there's so <laughs> <laughs> I got away with it two or three times, and then someone caught up to me, said, no, no, no you can't go upstairs now. <laughs> <laughs> good con, good con.
0: yeah, <laughs> but, and talking about journalists and objectivity, I think uh, Bangladesh journalists, in my experience, at least I don't know how it is now but uh, were the most vocal in the press box and uh, they were almost like uh, the most vocal cheerleaders of the team i mean of course uh, it was in the early days i can totally understand because you know the uh, there were a lot of calls for bangladesh to you know not have test status people were saying that they were such a bad team that they should never have been given test status so i can understand why journalists would be really you know vocal about this and want their team to do well And especially when Bangladesh did well against other teams, the journalists used to be, uh, you know, visibly happy. But how is it now? And uh, what are your thoughts on that, about uh, journalists being, um, you know, cheering the team, so to speak?
1: I think uh, what you should also consider here is that uh, journalists were the hardest. uh, they They had the hardest time because they had no relation with the cricket board or the players but their office would send them to these expensive tours and expect you know with the hope that Bangladesh could maybe win a game because i think you know that uh, you know cricket is a front page thing deal in bangladesh i mean whenever they win even now uh, when they beat england 3 0 it, it's a front page story it's a newspaper front page story it's like a leading news in the in the in the in the news channel so um in that from that perspective for a long time they they would lose very often especially on tours so um, I think that came out uh, in in a sense of relief almost that you know they're they're doing well. I mean, i I punch my fist sometimes when they do well. I mean, seriously, I mean, because there is an expectation, there's always this expectation among journalists that if the team does well, the team that you're writing about, that's that's a slightly an easier job than criticizing them all the time. So there has been spells where Bangladesh have lost about. I think Um, in the span of five years, they've lost 47 test matches and ODIs and and whatnot. I mean, they were like the worst team in the world. And then that Cardiff, I I would, I I wasn't there, but but I I would imagine that in Cardiff 2005 when Bangladesh beat uh, Australia in that miraculous game, Bangladesh were the worst team in the world at that point. And Australia were obviously number one in all formats. Uh, Like in every sphere of cricket, they were the best. And then when they beat them, I would imagine Bangladeshi journalists getting happy because, as I said, I mean, they don't have any Sort of, um, you know, that the only interest is trying to cover cricket at that time. And um, I, just, I just feel that, you know, they have to answer back to their office, these journalists, that, okay, I should be sent to the next tour. But they lose every game on, on tours. Or even at home, they were losing all the games. But this is what I find very admirable about the media in Bangladesh, that despite losing for many, many, many years these newspapers, these TV channels have sent people abroad. They've, they've had two reporters for cricket matches. You know, I, I sometimes couldn't believe that, you know, a newspaper can have two guys just covering cricket when all the cricket team was doing was losing. But then, there, there was always that hope that, okay, that one game, they'll win that one game and that, that that tide will turn and and that's what happened. I mean, people were very patient. I think I think the hardest one was for the journalists to follow. I think fans also had a hard time following this cricket team but I think Journalists also, you know, the amount of money they have spent, the, the media in Bangladesh on, on on cricket, you know, slowly they're getting it back, I think.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's totally understandable. I mean, it's, uh, you know, for uh, somebody from, um, say, India or England or Australia may not get the uh, reason why this is happening. I mean, for us, it is, uh, you know, we are seeing journalists cheering, the players and it is a little awkward but there is also a huge background to it and uh, I understand completely what you're talking about and you know as long as eventually it is not uh, reflected in the copy you know that you know and you can see that the good uh, Bangladesh journalists they criticize when they when they have to you know they don't hold back they don't hold back any punches so it's not like they are constantly cheering the team and uh, making excuses for them so yeah I mean I think eventually you judge your journalist by their work and not by uh, their uh, you know what they are seen to be doing in the press box. so yeah, totally understand uh, need to go back to that um, uh, you know it, continuing on this trail about the player uh, journalist relationship. I thought we can get a little into that uh, Mavadasrafful kind of piece because there are instances like that where you spoke about hope. For the Bangladesh cricket team, but you know, for someone like Ashrafal, uh, was the, the hope invested in a player like him was so immense. You know, the time in which he came, the kind of talent he had, the century that he got in Sri Lanka, in Colombo, and then the century against India. Cardiff, you just mentioned, uh, you know, not only Cardiff, but then there was a game against England as well uh, after that in Trent Bridge. So, the kind of hope that was invested in a player like that and then to then have to cover not only his extended failures that, uh, you know, that in between these successes, but then also to the extent of the the fixing that he got embroiled with, with the team. And then, you know, you personally uh, had, uh, when you asked that question in the, you know, basement, uh, you know, you can describe that where it was. And then him breaking down in front of you. I mean, it can't be easy to have a player of that stature uh, breaking down in a press conference. doesn't happen every day and very hard for a journalist to even uh, reconcile with, right?
1: I mean, that that exact moment, I mean, um, I I think uh, I was the second batch of journalists who arrived in this house that day. Uh, because his house is, is on the eastern part of Dhaka, and it took us a while to get from the airport. I mean, we just went on a whim. We didn't know others were going, and this is uh, this is a period when you know it was you know social media was becoming big, and but you know mainstream media wasn't taking it too seriously. I think 2014 is in Bangladesh at least, so there was a lot of pressure for you know mainstream media to get it right or get the news quickly. So I remember going there with another journalist in, in his on his his motorbike, and when we arrived, there was one batch coming out, and we thought, okay, so maybe he has spoken, so he will speak to us. And I was feeling a little apprehensive because I had um, already written a piece about how he uh, probably let the team down or the country down. In one of my pieces, I had written it or something, and uh, I didn't I didn't know how he would react. And and others had written even more fiercely at that time. Uh, he was there and he was always a bit, you know, he's a gentleman. So he would never, I've I've heard stories that he's never refused any journalist in in the sense that if, you know, they've turned up at his house or done, you know, uh, come in front of him, he would at least speak to them. So when we spoke, um, he was speaking at at an even tone. And then I asked him a question about uh, regret because he'd just come from Sri Lanka, I think, or he'd come from Zimbabwe. But in the Sri Lanka series, he scored a, his career best 190 in the goal test, where Mushri Gurem got a double hundred. So I just, I remember I pointed out a few shots that he was playing that, you know, you're getting it right now. And then you scored, a, you almost scored a double hundred. Is there a regret that you have now in this situation? And he just broke down and... Um, Um, It was captured on TV and uh, I think I have a photo of it. Someone sent me a photo of it immediately. But yeah, I mean, it got very uncomfortable and we tried to calm him down and then he was, quickly, you know, he recovered. But then you could understand what he, um, probably there was regret, you know, and probably there was regret that he, he was, he got caught at a time when I think it was actually working out for him. I mean, there have been, there have been uh, speculation about his involvement for a long time, but uh, there was no proof, so we we couldn't really you know justify it. But when it happened in the BPL and there was you know quite hard evidence and you know the ICC got involved, and then you kind of figured out that it was it was a bit of a, what do you say? It was maybe he had done something wrong a long time, slightly longer time ago, or slightly before he. <laughs> actually got caught, so I think I think there was that sort of regret that now that because he was also getting dropped uh, during that time. That was the first first season I think he didn't play regularly for Bangladesh in ten years. So, but then he went back and he scored some runs in the team. He was he wasn't the original choice in Sri Lanka as far as I remember. He was like a third choice. Two players got injured, then he got in and he scored that b- unbelievable 190, and he had won them a one day game in Sri Lanka. With a with a quick fat thirty, then in Zimbabwe he scored some runs, so he was again becoming something of a you know an, a you know a reliable batter. He had never been a reliable batter, but then this this thing happened, and that was it. I mean, it 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 was um, for many for many people apparently it wasn't a huge surprise. It was a big surprise for me because I never really thought that you know Bangladeshi players could actually take that step towards you know the darker side of cricket. But well. It happened. And um yeah, I mean it was it was a moment that that I had to capture in an interview later. And um when I met him later at the same apart, same house, um, he was quite calm. And I had a photographer with me who had known Ashraful since he was a you know 15-year-old or 16-year-old genius. So I took him, he's a very well-known photographer. Because back then I think we did some photos, you know, personalized photos as well, you know, for the pieces. So I remember taking him and then um, we had a long chat, and then after the recorder was turned off, we also had a longer chat about everything else. And um, yeah, and, and I think you remember from the piece, from as far as I can remember, he opened up before I could even ask him a question. It was like, yeah, yeah, I did it. Now let's talk about it. So it wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't going to beat around the bush. He was going to talk about it immediately.
0: Yeah, that was that was definitely. Uh, uh admirable from his side that he didn't want to really uh, couch it or he didn't want to be politically correct. He just uh, came out and then he also you know, said how you know there was a little bit of, uh, there was regret definitely about the whole thing and yeah, so that was great. Also one of the other things of the piece was that you uh, there was a camp in which when you were much younger, when you and Ashraful were together and uh, you were, uh, and he even complained I think to you because you were bowling uh, left arm uh, wrist spin and uh, so, you know, you've known him for a long time.
1: I have known him since I was twelve. Um, he was the captain of the under thirteen under thirteen team those days, and I was a, I was for some reason I was a left arm orthodox bowler. I think I was a big Shane Warne fan, and it was it was um, one of my cousins who played professional cricket for a long time in Bangladesh. He talked it out of me. He said, "No, no, no, you can't really do that in this country. It's it's a country of left arm spinners, so you should." start bowling you know <laughs> start bowling orthodox but this was way we be unpatriotic that. to bowl yes. wrist <laughs> spin <laughs> so uh i remember we uh, i was in a net session with uh, with the under 13 team uh, Bangladesh under 13 team and i was bowling wrist spin and it, it all the other kids were like we were all 12 or 13 at that time and they all said oh wow we should also try it and then everyone started to try it and obviously it wasn't going well it was all double bounce or you know uh, wide down the leg side and Ashraful was Ashraful was the most uh, well-known young cricketer in Bangladesh at that time. Ashraf Ban Nafis Iqbal. I mean, brother. So, Ashraful was having a, a, a batting. And then he complained to the coach that this kid is bowling wrist spin for no reason. And these other kids are following him. I remember there were like 20 bowlers, 20 spinners there. Uh, right arm and left, left arm bowlers. So, we all started to bowl leg spin to him. or I was bowling wrist spin and everyone else was trying out. And then he into the course the court said no no no. do what you can do you know you guys you're not you know wrist spinners you should start bowling what you do and yeah I mean Ashraful was uh, was I mean I remember then slowly growing up I gave up cricket for a while because I was you know in a school where you know cricket wasn't really encouraged but Ashraful obviously continued um you know his long walks from his home to one of the grounds near my house it's about 10-12 uh, kilometers he would walk every day with his coach, uh Wahidul Ghani, he's, he's a legendary coach here. He's like the Ramakand Ashekar of Bangladesh, you can say he's raised a lot of great cricketers here. Um, so that that story always you know touched me because he was um a very hardworking guy and 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 as a, he's also a cricket nut. I mean, he remembers, you know, you know, bygone era matches, and he's like uh, he knows the exact statistics of Sachin Tendulkar and Brian Lara and himself, you know, all these numbers he remembers, and you know. That's that's something unique for a Bangladeshi cricketer. Usually, they just focus on their own game and they don't really bother. But Ashraful, you know, he's hosted Sachin at his house in 2010, I think, uh, when when India were here, and he treated him with um, ilish Mach, which is a, you know the hilsa, the one, yeah, one of our yeah, most yeah. you know well known fishes. So you know, Ashraful is it was that, that kind of a character during that time when Bangladesh really didn't open up to foreign teams or were not doing well. So um, he has had his moments. He's had his great moments in, 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 you know, in international cricket. You have written a
0: piece, of course, about this uh, left-arm spin phenomenon in Bangladesh cricket. But if you, for, a, for your next book, you know, an idea for your next book is list out all the left-arm spinners who have played for Bangladesh and write one chapter on each, and then your book will be done. Okay. So, what? Talk a bit about this. Why? Okay. I mean, I can understand some reasons why this is the case but come on this is a national obsession man. what is happening why is this left arm spin become like this uh national kind of uh
1: patriotic sign it's a cottage industry it's a, it's a <laughs> small industry but i i've written in that piece i've written in, in great detail that it's actually it's um there's a there's a saying right uh what something is the mother of Necessity or some, something, I forgot. Necessity is the mother necessity of invention. Yeah, exactly. So, Bangladesh is a one-day country. It's a one-day cricket country. Uh, going back to the 70s, they have played 45 over one-day league. The Dhaka Premier League, which I've written extensively about, but uh, that is a one-day tournament. And one-day cricket is like in our blood, frankly. I mean, we we don't really go into T20 until very recently. Test cricket isn't our thing. It's ODI cricket, one-day cricket. Um in one-day cricket, you need economical bowlers, and I think that's where it started. It started all of a sudden in the uh, late 80s or very early 90s really good bowlers, Mohammad Rafiq and Enamul Hakmoni, who were both left-arm fast bowlers. Coincidentally, Mohamed, uh, Enamul Hakmoni was bowling left-arm quick for, for in, in a Dhaka league match when a former Paki- uh, a, a Pakistani cricketer told him that, uh, why don't you try spin because it's not working? He tried it. It worked. He kept bowling spin. Separately, um, in another incident, Mohammad Rafiq, uh, who was a very quick left-arm fast bowler, he was bowling and then again slow wicket, one-day match. There was runs leaking. Um, Wasim Haider, who was played for Pakistan, he was playing in Dhaka in the Dhaka League. He told him during a drinks break that why don't you try spin. He started to bowl spin. He stuck to it. Then he became the highest wicket taker that that season then they picked him in the bangladesh team he did well he got tendulkar out in the asia cup in 1995 the moment he got tendulkar out i remember everyone wanted to be that guy who got sachin tendulkar out because in 1995 you can you can imagine what tendulkar meant to kids in uh, in the subcontinent at least in in bangladesh and india and some of these countries so oh yeah that when, was around his peak i mean 95 yeah.
0: to 98 was around his peak
1: yeah so when Rafiq got him out a couple of times, I think in two one-day tournaments, we all wanted, everyone wanted to be a left-arm spinner. And then, then came that 97 Asia, uh, you know, sorry ICC Trophy win, and then people's kids started to flock to cricket academies. Cricket academies started to, you know, uh, you know, jump out out of nowhere. And then you could see this army of left-arm spinners, young kids like now you we know them by name. It's Shakib Al Hasan. It's Arafat Sani, it's Ilyas Sani, we know the names, and Haq Jr. You know, all these kids started to come out uh, to bowl left arm Shakib was mainly a batter, but because he was a lefty, I think that's why uh, he would bowl in the nets in BKSP, and then he slowly developed it. But all the others I've known through cricket academies in Dhaka. Uh, BKSP is situated outside Dhaka. It's a it's a, it's a residential school, um, Bangladesh, Kriya, Shikha, Pratishtan. It was established in the mid-80s, where you might know someone rabid imam uh, who's the rabid imam yes he was in the first batch in the first cricket batch
0: in fact and the, you and uh, rabid came on the podcast to talk about uh, bangladesh and their pre test years
1: right so he yeah. mentioned
0: this and that yeah, yeah.
1: so uh, that's where shakib is also from shakib Mushfiq, mominul Haq, uh, nasir hossain these are the some of the players that come that have come out of um, pksp okay. so that's where shakib learned left arm spin and then dhaka premier league teams um, always wanted left-arm spinners because it worked. 10 overs, 30 runs, one wicket. They would love it. I mean, that's where left-arm spin became so important. And um, uh, off-spinners were rare. You know, a left-arm spinner also would be a lefty batsman towards the... And we had a huge dearth of left-handed batsmen until Sharia Nafis and Tamim Iqbal started to make their debuts. So I just feel that um, um, it's, 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 all, it's all out of necessity that left arm spin became so important for for dhaka league and when it becomes important for dhaka league obviously it's working so the bangladesh team picks this bowler and when mohammad rafiq has done well that lineage continued i mean it was it was quite it was um, what what should i say it was it is actually quite natural for us um, left arm spin.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful uh, story. I mean, it's a lovely piece uh, uh, as well, and it's a beautiful story. And uh, we were talking about it actually during Australia's recent tour to India, where uh, you know they felt that the only way to win in India is you know to have a left-arm spinner in your ranks. And they actually sent back Ashton Agar, who was part of the squad, to get Matthew Kuhnemann in. He actually flew all the way in to here, and they they were saying that you know he's one of the very few. Uh, you know world left arm spinners who could be world class and so we were talking and saying that uh, you know perhaps the team that has the best chance on India's spinning spinning wickets is bangladesh at the moment in terms of test cricket but uh, unfortunately when bangladesh come india will never prepare spinning wickets they will prepare wickets that suit the fast bowlers because uh, that is what is their strength
1: yeah uh, bangladesh obviously they toured in 2019 uh, they played uh, Two test matches in Indore and Kolkata, and they were yeah very quick wickets, and it was quite obvious. I mean, um, even even in Bangladesh were in a bit of a mess at that time. They had just come out of a player strike, and uh, the test matches ended in two or three days. But in Hyderabad, when they played in 2017, I think I think the spin, I think I don't think the spinners did that well. But uh, I mean, the batters had a bit of a, uh, a decent time in the second innings. But you know, it's the intimidating factor. I think I think if Bangladesh does play in India regularly at some point. Even if it's just ODIs, I mean, they could start doing well. But otherwise, I think uh, touring them just twice in 20 years, you know, that that also puts a bit of strain on the players that um, you know playing in India for Bangladesh. I think playing in India is as big as playing in England or playing playing in Australia. Um, I think I think they consider India and Pakistan as as you know the places where they want to really do well, and that's where you know the 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 the, the big prestige comes these days.
0: Sure, sure, sure. I think uh, that all that is true. Uh, and obviously, they you would want to tour a place regularly to have an idea of the conditions. But I think uh, Taijol, Mehdi and Shakib are a formidable uh, uh, spin trio. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think, even if they come to India as, uh, you know, I don't think they will get the wickets that will favour them. They will get uh, more wickets uh, that will favour Shami and uh, the Indian fast bowlers. But anyway, back to your uh, book and your pieces Uh, we should talk about your playing um, days your playing career which uh, eventually led to one of the great uh, moments in your uh, uh, sort of uh, life which was bowling to Kevin Peterson uh, over a long stretch of a practice session Uh, you have uh, written a wonderful piece about it talking about the uh, intricacies of uh, you know Peterson and his reactions, and Andy Flar, who was the coach at that time, uh, sort of telling you what to bowl and uh, all that. It's a wonderful piece, but yeah, uh, tell us a bit about that. Your memories? Uh, how how was it like bowling to one of the greats?
1: So um, England were in Bangladesh in 2010, and they had they had sent the Andrew Sars was in touring, Alistair Cook was the captain, and uh, um, I was still playing. And working in Daily Star, but I had left Daily Star for about nine months before um, this incident happened. So I wasn't back in, I wasn't working then. Um, I think what happened was um, one evening I was bowling in the Nets and uh, I was bowling quite well to Matt Pryor, I think. And I think Craig Keyswetter was there. And once I had bowled to them, Andy Flower told me to go and join KP in the indoor nets. And KP told me to chuck some, not not bowl, but chuck some left-hand spin to him for like half an hour. And after that, he said, okay, bowl. And I bowled to him for a while. There, I think he uh, figured out that he needs to do some more work. So he came out and he said, just just hang around for a little while. I think, um, like, after everyone left, uh, Flower took me aside and said that uh, tomorrow at midday, can you come over and we'll do a a session with We'll have a separate session. I, I didn't hear him quite well. I said, oh, you sure, I'll be there at 12. I mean, Andy Flower tells you to come at 6 in the morning, you'll come at 6 in the morning. Um, I I got there and there was no one in the nets. I thought it was a prank or something. That why would they ask me to come alone? And then there was Andy <laughs> Flower standing in one corner. I said, yeah, okay, you've get ready, stretch, you'll have to bowl to KP all day. I said, oh, that's new. I mean, I haven't done that to anyone. I mean, not uh, apart from my friends, I haven't bowl to someone on my own just all day or you know
0: you have only bowled to to me you have not bowled to (laughs) apni
1: exactly so um so kp uh you know got ready he was warmed up and i started to bowl to him and then slowly um andy Flower was the was uh, standing as the umpire and he would tell me after about every maybe four or five overs he would ask me what sort of field do you have uh, why would why would you pl- pick a fielder there? Why wouldn't you do this? And then I started to got him out a few times and he asked me how I get him out. And I told him because uh, because of this, because of that. One of the things that I found quite easy to bowl to KP was I think he has this huge stride which is already, he has his stance which is quite wide and I think that's how he plays. He later told me that's how he likes to play fast bowling. He wouldn't change it for a spinner. Um, but then I told him that it's uh, he's set up for a leg before decision. And Andy Flower said, how How do you know? I said, I'll show you how. So after a few balls, he got him, I got him out LB with trying to get him uh, with, the, with the one that was slightly slower and spun a little more. And then Andy Flower said, wow, that you know you actually said that you do that. Then he understood that, yeah, I, I knew what I was doing. Then he said, okay, you set your fields. We'll talk to him about it. At the hour mark, I think we had a water break. And then I just asked KP that, um, would you mind if I asked you a question? He said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I said, why do you have a white stance? What is the point of that? He said, look, I'll play 700 to 800 balls against fast bowling in my home season, which is the county or, you know, English summer. Uh, I don't want to change it for a, for a spinner because if I change my stance, I have to change like 20 other things. So I'll just go with it and, and try to fix it. And the relationship we had with Flower back then, I mean, I wasn't a journalist at that time, but I was a journalist. Like I had done three years of work and I, i could understand that they were very friendly and and not just friendly i think they had a they had a sort of a maybe an a southern african connection also it seemed like you know they they had they had their accents going the zimbabwean accent and the south african accent which are you know they were quite comfortable with each other and having read what happened later and having heard what happened later that was quite quite an intriguing part and then you know um about two hours or two and a half hours later, the, the England players started to come. So, they had an ODI game next day. So, Flower had taken out two extra hours for just KP. And then the team started to, you know, filter through. And uh, Graham Swan was one of the first ones to arrive. And he was massaging my shoulder. I said, how long has it been? I said, two and a half hours. He said, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. They have. <laughs> and the, po- the, the fact later, I realized that PCB doesn't really give a lot of left-arm spinners to visiting teams in the Nets. I mean, it's a tactical thing. So that's why they had got me separately. And because I spoke a bit of English, so they were like, yeah, let's get him separately. And by the end of it, I think the only regret I have is uh, KP had asked me to take something from his, you know, large, you you call them coffin, the the large bags.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Just just take what you want. And I said, no, 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 I don't want anything. This is enough for me. I bowled to you. I was very happy with that. And, And I hung around for the rest of the, Day and I bowled to the other bowler, so basically from 12 in the afternoon to about six in the evening, I bowled to them <laughs> all day. And I, wow, it, so you... yeah, I helped them, <laughs> but next day he got out to Shakib like very quickly. If you see footage of that series, I think he got a six out of six innings, he got out to left arm spin five times, so it really didn't help him.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, but I think that wasn't that the series, uh, when that whole Rahul Dravid incident happened?
1: Yes, the letter. The letter, the letter, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So because still, I, after
0: that, yeah. I think uh, there was a bit of a reinvention because uh, when he went to Sri Lanka and then yeah. India and Pakistan, yeah. they, he had uh, some spectacular
1: knocks. Um, I've also bowled to Indian players in the Nets. Um, I've bowled to uh, England under-19 team in the in the. Long time ago, Alistair Cook was also the captain. Then Ravi Bopara and all these guys. But the 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 abiding memory I have of uh, you know of, of the Indian nets is bowling to uh, Virat Sehwag, and then after two or three balls, I was just expecting someone to take the ball away from me because this guy was he's a he's a murderer of spinners. And <laughs> Suresh Raina, Suresh Raina would say sorry to me every time he hit me for a six. Like sorry, sorry, boss. You know, keep please keep bowling here. Because you know, I think they can. Some of them seem to be playing spin with their eyes closed. Um, I I bonded over you know bowling with Amit Mishra. This was again in 2010 uh, when India were traveling. They had they're playing a tri-nation with Bangladesh and also a test series. So, yeah, I bowled with Amit Mishra for like two hours, and we spoke about uh, you know grips, you know what I should do, what he does, and how difficult it is in India to you know play at at uh, at any level. How competitive it is. Like Amit Mishra told me stories of how. You know, um, it took him a long time to get through because all these age group, uh, you know, trials were very hard and all stuff like that. So yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was fun to see how tall Vijay Singh was and you know how how you know how he practices and how their work play, spin been and all that. So yeah, I mean, I've done a few South Africa, India, um, England as well. So yeah. Oh wow! Okay, so
0: you've been, you are a veteran
1: net bowler, <laughs> net then, bowler to all these
0: yes. people. <laughs> Or or Pai as uh, can be like <laughs> Kevin used
1: to call. Peterson,
0: yeah. Yeah, but but uh, when you were bowling to Raina and Sewag, I'm curious. Were you did you feel you were bowling badly or that they were just batting wonderfully?
1: Obviously, I was bowling badly, or I mean, whatever <laughs> I bowled, it was still bad. I mean, he would Sevak doesn't Sevak didn't play one ball off me off his front foot. He was just hanging back and doing what he pleased. I mean, later. Many years later I saw that Ashwin interview on YouTube where yeah. Ashwin said that he doesn't rake spinners. And I and now I can relate to it. Yeah, he didn't I was a net bowler. <laughs> Why would he rate me? But yeah, and Ashwin somebody, says that
0: uh, he yeah. decided that he will bowl bad balls to, bad balls to him.
1: <laughs> Yeah. And with Raina, I thought that anything I bowl to him would go for six. I mean he I mean, um, obviously I there was a huge gap between my skill and his skills, but um he, he could just hit anything out of the ground, I thought, you know, he and he did. Honestly, every ball I bowled, I think I bowled 20 balls to him and every one of them went for at least a boundary. It had to be a boundary. I mean, he's just um, just so quick on his feet. Um, and I think he was trying something out. He was probably charging a spinner. But I, I, and Then I realized that, yeah, Sevak just doesn't play a spin of the front foot. He just hang back and pull me everywhere. Pull and cut. Whatever I bowled. Mm-hmm. Have you bowled to any of the Bangladeshi batters? Yeah, um, in match situations, of course. Um, so, uh, I've got out uh, Mushfiqur Rahim first ball once in a in a corporate league match. There used to be a tournament called the Corporate League where, um, you know, he just got back from playing in Sri Lanka Test series, I think. And Deb Watmore was at the ground to see him bat, and uh, I just got an out. I just got out. I I took the wicket of a batsman called Shamsu Rahman. He was also. He later played test cricket, and Mushfiq was like the the the, the teenage superstar. And I got him out LBW first ball. He doesn't remember, um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm that, that the only time I've ever bowled to him.
0: Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this this was in a corporate tournament. But you have you also did you also play the Dhaka Premier League, or you were not uh, in any of those teams?
1: I just played one season for a team called Old UHS Club. Um, it was in 2006-7. Uh, sorry, 7-8. Um, yeah, that was the only season I, I played. But the other, uh, other, other seasons I've played, just the rung below, it's called the first division. It's like the English Premier League. It's how they call it. It's the Dhaka Premier League and then it goes down to first, second, third division. So I've played Got the it. first division yeah. for nine years.
0: Yeah 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 you did you did mention of course in that uh, previous podcast that i spoke about we went uh, we were talking in depth about the Dhaka Premier League and you know the how beloved it is of uh, the uh, bangla uh, many of the old time bangladesh fans and even now i think even now it retains quite a bit of its charm and you have of course written you wrote that piece and things but maybe you can talk a bit about uh, that here too and about the sort of the prestige that that tournament carries despite the BPL and everything else. It's almost like the Dhaka Premier League is a has a certain cachet to it and winning it means something and doing well in it. You know, you have uh, politicians uh, giving you hefty prizes and you have, uh, there is a certain ego for all the owners there. and there. So, it, yeah, tell us a bit about the Dhaka Premier League.
1: Sir, it's the fabric of Bangladesh Cricket. It's where Bangladesh Cricket comes from it where it's where the the foundation of Bangladesh cricket is Dhaka Premier League and that league system it it's not um it's a it's a very um, I think the closest thing I can tell you what happened was Sid Monga had come to Bangladesh to do a story called Red Sun Rising which we later wrote together it was the you know um, it was on 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 TCM uh, 2016 yeah, I remember that story yeah. Yeah. yeah so he had come to Dhaka for a week. And the Dhaka Premier League was going on um, during May or June. And um, I took him to one of the matches and he couldn't believe that I've never written about it. He said, why haven't you written about it? I said, well, it's, it's Dhaka Premier League. He's like, have you realized that this is IPL before IPL? Because it has all the intrigue of owners, coaches, captains, club fans, rivalries, like the multiple rivalries. And as I'm telling him, he's telling me what to say about Dhaka Premier League. He's like, you have to write a piece on this. I, you promise that you'll do it in the next six months. I said, yeah, yeah, I will. No problem. But um, it caught his eye very quickly because he thought it was a bit like he said it was a bit like the Mumbai cricket scene but with a lot of money in it, with a lot more riding on it because there is the practicality of promotion, demotion uh, promotion and, 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 and going down the leagues that cannot like that is like the big no no you cannot go down you have to stay up in the league. Then you have the connection with with the cricket board now using it as their you know voting mechanism like the, the way the cricket board's constitution works is also through the Dhaka Premier League's point. You know how each team gets so you have
0: more uh more say in the working Huge. of the board if you do well. Huge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the strange thing in Bangladesh cricket is um in the category of the Dhaka leagues or the club teams, 12 board directors can be elected. But for the rest of the country, for the other 63 division, uh, uh, divisions, uh, districts and eight divisions, you can have 10 directors. Just imagine how big it is. So this <laughs> league has 12 board directors. The whole country has 10 board directors. That's number wow. one. Number two, you have the money involved. And um, since the 70s, it has, you know, sustained Bangladesh cricket, cricketers. Um, cricket wasn't the biggest sport it was football so that culture comes from club football where the two big teams are Abohani it's now called Abahani Limited and the other one is Mohamedan Sporting Club these are the two big rivals they are like the Mohanmagan and East Bengal of Dhaka and um, in a way it, it actually you know sports lovers or football fans in Kolkata knows about this uh, rivalry in football in Bangladesh Abahani Mawadan is a big rivalry in Dhaka so that has translated to cricket. And then cricket started to do well, won the ICC trophy. And um, for a long time, you know, Sri Lankan cricketers like Rana Tunga, Arvindar de Di Silva, Sanath yeah, Jayasuriya, they have played. Wasim Akram has played. Neil Fairbrother was a really sort of a left-field call for Abohani to bring Neil Fairbrother and Ray Lingward because they did well in the 92 World Cup. People had money in their pocket. They they own, uh, you know, stakes in Abohani and they said, OK, let's bring this player. Let's make big, let's make a big splash in the newspapers. So I remember going to uh, the Abahani Club Ground to see this little left-hander called Neil Fairbrother having a knock, and then next day he scores a big hundred against uh, or, a, or a ninety against Mohammedan, you know, in the in the in the sort of the Dhaka Derby. So it's everything. Nowadays it has taken us taken a bit of a backseat because of BPL and all. But recently, Shakib said that the BPL is worse than DPL. DPL is more well organized. It is more well organized. Teams are made way before. You no, know, the season starts and, and and training is quite good. They have many of them now have their own training facilities. So it is as very important to Bangladesh cricket. It is also very powerful. These clubs have directors who are who basically run Bangladesh cricket. So they can be you know they they have abused their power sometimes or nowadays they do, but you cannot deny how big it is, how important it is in in Bangladesh.
0: Yeah, I mean the stakes are so high that you know umpires. Uh, were getting bullied. The umpires were getting beaten up after games, and you yeah. know, this is not something that uh, happens uh, in uh, cricket in other countries regularly. So,
1: yeah, and I think uh, if you remember the, the the first sort of couple of paragraphs where I described a team owner arriving in a helicopter in in yeah. a in a ground next to the Fatullah Cricket Stadium, walks in. He's like the richest uh, from the richest family in the country, and he walks in, tells his team that if you can beat Abhony today, you're going to get a big bonus. And he just flies out from with the helicopter, black helicopter. Goes back. His team wins. He does pay that bonus. And last year the team was the was the league champion, Sheikh Jamal Mundi Club. So you know it um, it doesn't surprise me at all that big money comes to um, B- DPL, Dhaka Premier League, or the league system first, and then comes to BPL, which is a bit of a dubious tournament these days. So I think I think. Um, And long may it continue because it just sustains so many cricketers in the country.
0: Yeah, fantastic.
1: Um,
0: Which, uh, you know, talking about cricketers in the country, I wanted to, you know, touch upon uh, a couple of other cricketers who you have covered uh, very closely and who you have written about. Uh, One, um, I think we should, uh, we can't finish this uh, podcast without talking about uh, one of my favourite Bangladesh cricketers and, uh, you know, somebody who you have written about so well, uh, Mashrafe. So, you know, tell us a bit about your relationship with Mashrafe, um, you know, uh, how he was as a person and also, you know, his sort of evolution. I mean, he has gone from, uh, he has pretty much done everything there is uh, to do, you know, not only has he captain, not only has he been the all-rounder, done bat- batting, bowling, fielding, everything. He's also now, you know, his foray into politics and, you know, he speaks his mind and uh, he's a quite a <laughs> original
1: yeah, he's, uh, he's. I, I call him a successful rebel also, because he, he doesn't, he. I mean, <clears throat> he's not a anti-establishment guy per se, but he would do anything for his teammates. I think that's the first thing that struck about him. Um, he just, he goes out of his way. Uh, captaining a Bangladesh team at that time when they were doing slightly well it was difficult, because... People would become instantly famous and instantly infamous. So to handle those things, I remember when Rubel Hussain got into trouble just before the 2015 World Cup and the beautiful way he, you know, just managed that situation. It was difficult for Rubel um, to... He was in jail for, for a couple of nights over a weekend. And to bring him back, I mean, his confidence would have been short. I mean, he wouldn't have believed that he would go to the World Cup. Mashavi made sure that he went to the World Cup. That's one example. But... Following him around uh, during that time when Bangladesh were doing, they were winning a lot. That also opened up my eyes about his humility. And, and then uh, there was a great book that came out uh, called Mashravi in Bengal. It was, it was by, uh, it is by uh, Devrata Mukherjee. He's a, he's a former journalist in Bangladesh. He wrote a book about how Mashravi's humility comes from his grandmother, who uh, was from a very rich family in, in, in Nara'il, but uh, she was a school teacher and being a school teacher she didn't want to show off her jewelries or her you know her richness to the you know to the to the parents of the or the or the, or the children that she was teaching so she would always be a lot more humble and that's where mashrafi grew up Mashravi actually grew up with his grandparents more i think his dad or you know his parents had you know they lived nearby but he would always hang out with his uh, with his grandparents and There he learned the understanding of of life and why humility matters as a, doesn't have to be a public figure, but that's where it comes from. And I realized in that whole piece that I did with him, walking around every day, just trying to figure out what he does, is that he, if someone doesn't even matter to him, and if he thinks at a humanitarian level that this person needs a bit of help, even if it's just good advice, he would give it. I didn't write this part, but... There's this one mad guy who bowls in the Bangladesh nets for a long time or did bowl um, at some point. He's quite old and he would bowl like spin. And people just humor him saying that, yeah, yeah, you've got a future. But he was in his mid-30s. So one day he came up to Mashrafi and and said that um, in a very crazy sentence, he said, "Uh, do you think I still can play for Bangladesh? And Mashrafi said, come here, sit. These are journalists here. Um, I'm telling you the truth in front of them. You're never going to make it because you're 30 plus. And, um, you know, um, it's difficult in in living in Dhaka the way you live. You don't earn anything. And that guy started to cry. And he said, um, but you're talking to me in a very mean way. Mashavi said, no, I'm telling you the truth. I can give you a lot of money. I can set you up. But no, I'm telling you the truth. It's not going to happen for you. You're too old. You don't even have a club. Why don't you go back home or start doing something else? I'll help you do that. You know, this is not for you. I see you bowl every day. There's no point. That's the thing. I mean, he... um, that that sense of humility also touches when i uh, went to cover his election campaign for one day um, i roamed around his um, uh, constituency you can call it um, in in narail it's it's in down south it's near khulna it's in the khulna division so yeah. narail is a small town but it has it has like um, he went through all the villages and you know school grounds to do his speeches and it was something else it was just him on his bike, right ahead, um with his you know chadar wrapped around and him going fast and with cars behind him, he would stop you know it, the 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 village villagers would come out and feed him some sweet or something he would go to the next venue I, I think it was one afternoon um and then we figured out that yeah this guy's cut out for for politics very very much so in the in the sense that he um you know he doesn't just make the big speeches i think he's also done a lot in Narail. it it is a bit of a out of the place area it has down south it has to be uh, the, the 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 town has to be close to one of the main highways that's where the economy booms his i think Narail isn't in one of those highways so it it needed him it needed a someone like him to, and he's a son of the soil he would swim in the river i've written about it rabid bhai actually has written probably the best piece about Mashrafi in his wedding where he went to pick up Dev Watmore in the car. Dev Watmore got out of the car and he said, I'm never getting on the car with him. He drives <laughs> too fast. And then he was so excited with so many, you know, journalists or fans or people coming from Dhaka. He went up a, a coconut tree, got them coconut. On his wedding day, his father got very mad at him. I, I don't know where that piece is now. It was in the old uh, BC website. Rabidva used to write a blog there. But yeah, I think it's one of the greatest pieces of writing I've, I've read in Bangladesh. And I think
0: you have uh, quoted it in that yeah, piece yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rabid Bhai had to dig through his his uh, laptop to find that for me. And um, yeah, Rabid Bhai, I think uh, I should also mention here that Rabid Bhai was the first ones who wrote so beautifully about Bangladeshi players and would, you know, literally go down to their, you know, homes and villages and try to write about the human side of them. So I think that's also one of the reasons why I want to do that because he has also explained to me that, you know, Readers want to know that extra bit about a player and if you can give them that. You, the whole idea of Rabid Bhai telling me this was that you're not the you're not the guy that matters here. The guy you write about matters. So I think these small advices from Rabid Bhai and Upol Shubro and people like them have always helped me. So with Marshavi's piece as well, I was just a background guy. Just, you know, um, tried to understand what it was about. But then the funny thing was uh, the day he announced that he was going to get into politics. So I... There was a huge rush in, in, in the cricket board and uh, whether he was going to stand and talk. And somehow I, um, trying to protect my phone, which was the recorder, uh, I stood next to him. And uh, the, the photo has become timeless that um, I'm standing next to him. He's, much he must have been giving his, uh, you know, announcing his uh, uh, candidacy in the election and me standing right next to him. <laughs> Much you the of this. <laughs> photograph for
0: posterity yeah <laughs> after after third, when he becomes the you know prime minister you will that photo you can you can, uh, can get famous the, with that yeah, bit photo yeah, yeah. yeah. um uh, yeah so uh yeah i mean i uh, this is a uh, wonderful i linked that obviously all those pieces uh you know you should read and find out uh lastly before i wrap up uh, i do want to touch upon you know that uh fateful day in Christchurch, which of course Isam has uh, written about, he has spoken to me on the podcast about, uh, you know, when the the day of the terrorist attack there. But one little detail I want you to uh, sort of think about and maybe uh, examine is that the moment when Tamim Iqbal sent you that message. Now, I find it uh, remarkable that a cricketer, an international cricketer is now in a scene where a terrorist attack is happening, and they are outside this mosque, and the first person he messages is you, and he's a journalist, and, uh, you know, so you get to know about it, and then you go to the, you go to the scene, and you're trying to find out what's happening. Uh, Is that, is that uh, because of his relationship he shares with you? Is that because he was just, why do you think he messaged you? He could have messaged
1: anyone. (laughs) Um. Practically, it it made a bit of sense because we were the last people they saw in the Hagley Oval's parking lot when they were leaving. So the plan was a short session. It was the day before the test match. Uh, Mahmoudullah was the stand-in captain. He had done the press conference. It ran a bit late, luckily for them, to be honest with you, now that I think of it.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it ran a bit late. Then they were playing football in the ground. Which also ran a bit late. Then there was a lot of shouting, saying that come, we have to go because the mosque is not going to wait. The 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 prayer is not going to wait for us. Um, so they got on the bus. We were standing right in the step of the bus, me and two of the journalists, Utpal Shubro and Mazaruddin. and there was other um, there were other guys as well. I think there were some TV guys there as well. So we were the last ones. That, and and in tours of New Zealand, you only have. Um, you know, players and journalists where, you know, we, as I, as I had mentioned before, we, if we are going to the practice sessions here, we go to the team hotel a lot on tours. That's the place to hang out, to be honest. Um, would go and hang out outside the hotel or inside the hotel, wherever we are allowed to stand. And then players come out. Sometimes we talk to them off the record, you know, get some news and this and that. Tamim, why he called me... Um, I think he told me once, but I, I honestly think it was more of the practicality of it. He actually called not to cover the thing. It was about getting them out of that place. They were feeling so helpless there. To get help. Yeah. Yeah. So, they, he said, call the police. Somebody just call the police, tell them what is happening here. There's just a lot of shooting. I cut the line. Tamim has had this habit of telling me that uh, something big has happened on a, on a very slow news day. Just to you know, <laughs> prank me. I thought he was pranking me, but it was probably the darkest prank anyone could ever do. But then some unbelievable things happened. There was a car that turned up at the, at the at the gate of the parking lot. This lady gave us a lift near the mosque. How the hell she knew it was that mosque? I didn't even know which mosque it was. I just said mosque. She took us there. We went in and I, I thought it was the team that got attacked. But then later realized what was happening. And then they ran out and one of them grabbed me and said, just run with us. So we ran through. And um, yeah, that's how it happened. But Sameem calling me at that point. Yeah, um, I I feel it a bit of a privilege also that you know, for from a journalist point of view, that they asked, just wanted me to, you know, help them out. And my dad asked me later that what what were you going to help them with? What did you have? <laughs> what so, did you have? Yeah, and <laughs> and true. I think the most tragic of it, tragic part of it was my wife was pregnant at that time, and I had put her through a lot that year. I went to Mumbai, and I had a, a nervous breakdown because. Um, the uh, New Zealand, uh, the, the 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 passport agency there, they the agency that did the visa, they said it would take me two weeks, and I said, I'm just giving back my passport, I'm going home, because I was out wow. a lot that year in 2019. Mm-hmm. Then this thing happened, and um, I, the, the other thing was when my mom called, like she would call every morning, like uh, afternoon in Bangladesh, so she called, sorry, early morning in Bangladesh, she would wake up for her prayers. And I said, just watch the TV. She thought it was an earthquake. Because Christchurch had an earthquake almost every day. Earthquake, correct. Yes, she thought it was an earthquake. She said, what the hell? There's nothing on TV. Suddenly she sees me all sweaty and dark and talking about a terrorist attack. And um, wow. yeah, so that's how it went on. But yeah, I mean, um, it was tough for all of all of us. But I think somehow we all managed to get out of it. Of the mental yes. trauma.
0: Definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, purely from a journalist point of view and purely from, you know, to have been there on that day to experience it. And Isam, you know, not only uh, experienced it, but he also uh, wrote extensively about it, spoke about it and covered it extremely well for four, And also there's a piece uh, that, you know, that long piece in the book, uh, can't recommend it. Uh, highly enough uh, not just that piece but also the rest of the book please pick it thank up thank you again as i said if you're in bangladesh uh, you, it is uh, easy to pick up i will give the link if not uh, you may have to wait a bit but uh, hopefully it'll come out soon and you can uh, get it uh, thank you sam for this and uh, always a pleasure to learn more about bangladesh cricket and talk bangladesh cricket with you i mean for us uh, we are often uh, you know consumed by uh, Indian cricket and all that that happens around it, and uh, uh, but uh, yeah, always a pleasure to uh, hear more from Dhaka and Bangladesh.
1: Thank you, Sid. I'm really looking forward to read uh, Gideon Hayes' book as well. I've, I'm going to order it soon. I've already bought yeah. War Warman okay. is the shooting, and um, uh, also the second book. I think the second book is uh, Mike Cowards uh, Cricket Beyond when, the Bazaar Yes, yes, yes. I had it when I was. I think I bought it in India a long time ago. But yeah, I mean, these are, thank you for doing this. I mean, we need more people like you just, you know, not just republishing books. Maybe you can think about doing some, you know, books of young writers who, you know, come through. I don't know how difficult, it must be quite difficult, but hopefully someday we'll we'll see. Hopefully. is one of the, yeah.
0: Hopefully, that's the plan. I mean, uh, we have started with uh, bringing back old classics. Uh, Of course, uh, you know, we are doing this as a hobby and uh, we are all uh, otherwise employed. But uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, at some point of time, I'm uh, hoping this will be a venue for also publishing uh, new writers, young writers, new books, because I feel that, uh, you know, cricket books need some kind of uh, benevolent uh, publisher. I mean, you know, in the end of the day, you don't do it for money. And if there is any publisher who is trying to publish cricket books to make money, then I think uh, that is the wrong way to go. Uh, We are in it for the passion. And if it makes money, good. But if not, uh, you know, we would love to uh, keep it going for the love of the game and the love of literature, which are very important. I mean, personally, you know, you have spoken about the writers who inspired you. I got into this whole uh, uh, cricket writing and cricket uh, coverage business because of writers who inspired me. And yeah, ultimately, writers are very important to inspire the next generation. So uh, hopefully all that will come to fruition. Anyway, in the meanwhile, uh, if you like our podcast, uh, please uh, rate and review it. Uh, 81 All Out is uh, on all platforms. You can uh, also go to our website, 81allout.com. We have uh, over and Fifty-five episodes now. Uh, there, you can listen to uh, previous ones. Isam himself has been on, uh, I think, uh, three, uh, if not more. I'm sure I spoke to you about some uh, World Cup, Bangladesh World Cup performances as well. So maybe three or four. I'll link all that. Uh, you can also, uh, you know, listen to uh, a lovely podcast I did with Isam and Rabid on the uh, Bangladesh uh, cricket scene before they got Test status, and it's a very beautiful tale about. Uh, life before tests and how cricket was kept alive there. So all that will be linked. Uh, Isam has already mentioned, but yes, The Summer Game by Gideon Hay. That should be the next cricket book that you read. I And trust me, it is a masterful book. It is about uh, cricket in the 50s and 60s, but uh, Gideon writes with such passion and such love for the game that you will begin to really, really enjoy uh, the way it is written and uh, the amount of reporting that has gone into it. And uh, we hope to join you in uh, a week or ten days' time for our next episode. Thank you, Sam, and have a good day. India have won the series. They're going to get back for two. India home. Lords goes wild.